Okay, so today we're learning as in Parsha Noach, and we're going to learn the talk from the Rebbe on Parsha Noach, and this is in volume of Lakutis Sichos in his volume number 15, and it's Noach, the second talk on Noach. In volume 15, every Parsha, almost every single Parsha, there are five published talks edited talks in the Parsha. So this one is Parsha's Noah. Now this one is a fascinating discussion that the Rebbe is going to talk about the subject of science and the Torah. The secular knowledge and Torah. And he's going to bring it in with the verse in the Parsha and from the Zohar and the Kabbalah. And he also puts in there which is quite known already, the Rebbe's views on studying in universities and colleges and so on, learning secular studies and all kinds of science. So the reason at the time that the Rebbe spoke about this, this, is a, this talk is a combination of two talks that he gave in the 60s, in 1966, and another two talks that he gave in 1977. So, there was a lot of scientific um, advances at the time, and there was a lot of discussion amongst many Jewish circles around the world of whether the secular advancements, as we're going to talk about soon, whether they should be embraced or whether they should be viewed as a contradiction to Yiddishkeit and to Torah. The Rebbe was of the view that if there's something that was created or advanced or revealed in our generation, there must be a reason for this. And this is where he goes on with the discussion of his stand on this subject, based, of course, on full things of subjects of the Torah. So the first thing is, we're going to go to the verse, the actual verse in today's Parsha, in Parsha Noach. It's from chapter 7, verse 11. So it says like this, in verse 10 it says, And it came to pass after seven days that the flood waters were upon the earth. When did this happen in the history of the world? When was the story with the Noah and the flood? So verse 11 reads the following. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on this day, on this day, period, let's stop a second. So Noah, when he was 600 years old, Noah died, lived till 950 years. Many people before the flood, the air was better, the, the, there was different reasons for this, people lived much longer. After the flood, the age life went down to way under 500 Nobody lived to over 500 after the flood. As a matter of fact, only 10 generations after Noah by Abraham, Abraham only lives to 175. So really, it decreased big time. But in any case, Noah lived, Noah lived to 950 years. But when he was 600 years old, that's on the second month, meaning from the month of Nisan, we call it, so it's the month of Iyar. There's actually, Rashi brings two opinions, whether it's Iyar or whether it's the second month from the beginning of the new year. Either way, the second month on the 17th day of the month, and this day, all, here's the key words, all the springs of the great deep were split. Okay? The springs of the great deep were split. Meaning, simply understood, the springs of the water flows on earth, of the deep of the earth, were split. It, kind of, it opened up. And the windows of the heavens opened up. So when the flood started, basically the, all the water from below started coming up and the windows from the heavens opened up and it was gushing water everywhere. So that's the verse that we're going to talk about this verse. Now, there is a fascinating Zohar. And the Zohar says the following. 
Now remember, when the Kabbalah comes, the Zohar comes, as the word Zohar means, it's the ray, it's the shine, it reveals, it's a shine, it reveals a greater light onto the, these words, and it opens up our minds to something that you wouldn't see without this light, with this Zohar. So the Zohar says like this, Ubeshis Meoshnin, and in the 600 years, this refers to the six, the 6,000, you take the 600 and you magnify it to 6,000. That's how you look at it. And in the 6,000th year, in the 6,000th year, the gateways, the openings of wisdom of above, and well, the well springs, meaning this source of water from below of wisdom, of wisdom below, will, will uh, flow out all in preparation for the seventh thousandth year. Let's, let's recap those words in, in our English. Again, from the Zohar. In the year, in the years of the sixth thousandth year, that's what the 600 years of Noah, when the floods happened and the, the waters from below cracked open and the windows from above opened, this refers to the 6,000th year in this period, in the preparation for the 7,000th year, which is going to be the era of Mashiach. So in the preparation for this, when it says this verse, what it's alluding to as well is the idea that there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the gates of wisdom of above, the higher level of wisdom, and there are the wellsprings of source of water that comes from wells. That refers to a lower level of wisdom. And the world will be refined and prepared through these revelations of wisdom for the seventh thousandth year to come soon. Now, that's the words of the Zohar. Now, what does it mean when the Zohar says the gateways of a higher wisdom and the, the well of a lower wisdom? What's he referring to? So what it's referring to is the higher wisdoms which refers to as the verse said that in the 600 years of Noah, the Cracks of the streams of the water below came out. So, so what that refer the lower wisdoms, and then there's the higher wisdoms that came from the heavenly windows that opened. So, higher wisdom refers to the wisdom of Torah, and the lower wisdom refers to secular knowledge. Okay, so in other words, we have two kinds of wisdom. You have Chachma of Torah, Chachmas HaTorah, and you have Chachmas HaOlam. This is the way we understand the Zohar and the commentaries on the Zohar who fill in it to explain to us what does it mean? Higher wisdoms and lower wisdoms. I get it that he's taking it from the higher waters that opened up from the heavens and the lower water sources. But what it refer, the Zohar says it refers to the wisdom that's coming out. Higher wisdom and lower wisdom. So what does it mean? Higher wisdom means wisdom of Torah and lower wisdom means secular, the, the knowledge of the world, meaning worldly, worldly subjects of knowledge. And as we see Literally, that in the time, in this time, meaning in the time, in the last few hundred years, in preparation for the 7,000th year, because we are now in the 6,000 years of creation. So when the Zohar, 2,000 years ago, he prophesied that in the 6,000th year, in the era, in the end years of the 6,000th year in preparation for the 7,000th year, the Zohar already wrote that great knowledge will be revealed. So in now the Rebbe is going to show us in this talk here that we're going to see that in both areas we have unbelievable revolutionary levels of depth of knowledge that have been revealed in the last period of time that we didn't have for the first five and a half thousand years. 
which is an amazing thing when you start to think about that. So number one, he goes into the higher knowledge, the knowledge of Torah, the revelation of the inner parts of the Torah, the pnimius, the inner parts of the Torah have been revealed as we know the quote of the Tzemach Tzedek. Remember, if you bring a quote from any of the Rebbes, you know that this is reality. You don't have to speculate. Could you hear? So, in, in the time of the Tzemach Tzedek, the Tzemach Tzedek said, the Tzemach Tzedek was the grandson the third, of the Alter Rebbe, he was the third Chabad Rebbe, he said that the end of times in the, in the preparation for the coming of Mashiach, he said that it refers to the year of 1848. Why? Because he said that in the year of 1848, it was finally published the Likute Torah, which is the inner revelation of the inner understanding, the deeper understanding of the Torah that was from the Alter Rebbe's teachings on the weekly Parsha, published in the set, a, a book called the Likute Torah. So in other words, when the verse says in Isaiah, in Yeshaya, in chapter 11, verse 9, over there it says that the world will be filled with knowledge. Well, we're now embarking on that. From when the, this part of the Torah, the knowledge of the Torah has been revealed, it's the flood, it started to flood out. Flood, the floods were opened. So that's when the Tzemach said, said that now we see that it's already the preparation since we have this revelation of knowledge of the Torah in, for the coming of Mashiach. And a couple years prior to the printing of the Lakuta Torah, also was printed in the year 1877. It was, pr- sorry, 1837. It was printed the book of Torah Or, which is also the insights of the weekly Torah portion. Just had the two volume books have two different names because after volume one was printed, there was a ban on Jewish printings in Russia. So they couldn't print volume two for at least or almost. 10 years until they were able to reprint. And then the time they did the second book, they had to use a different name. So volume one is called Torah or volume two is called the Kutu Torah. In any case, what we see from here is that the learning of the inner parts of the Torah came in a way of the way the Zohar says that it's going to be flooding out like the waters at the times of the flood were just flooding. So the, the wisdom of these parts of the Torah came in a way of spreading it out. As we know, the conversation that the Baal Shem Tov had with Mashiach, and when he asked Mashiach, when are you coming? And Mashiach said, when you're going to spread out the wells, your wellsprings, the wellsprings of the Torah. And when did the Baal Shem Tov reveal himself as the Baal Shem Tov when he started to teach these inner parts of the Torah? That was in the year Tuf Kuf. Okay, a hint when the Balshantav was born was the year called Nachas, Tafnun Ches. You can remember that. And then uh, many years later, in the year of Taf Kuf, in the year of 1740, is when he was started to reveal these inner parts of the Torah. Now, that's in the higher level of wisdom. So we see clearly that in the late 1800s, the revelation, the floodgates of the wisdom of Torah opened in a way that we never had before. Now he goes into the secular knowledge, wisdom of abilities for worldly knowledge. Also, in the last 250, 300 years, the amount of knowledge and scientific advances that have been advanced have changed and revolutionized the whole world in the way we uh, plant fields in the way we make crops, machinery, and let alone when you go more advanced into nowadays, which he's soon going to give some examples of our generation of advancements in knowledge. Also has expanded in many ways in the last period of this 6,000 years. So that's the simple understanding. Now the Rebbe asks a question like this. He says, you have to understand if you tell me that before Mashiach comes, you have a revelation of the inner parts of the Torah, and that's a preparation for the 7,000th year, I understand. Because the whole point of Mashiach is, 
as the verse says in Isaiah, Mala Haaretzdea, the world will be filled with knowledge, so much knowledge like the sea, which is covered, the earth, the sea is covered with water. Just like the sea is covered with water, the world will be covered with knowledge. So there'll be so much knowledge. I understand why I need all this revelation of knowledge of the Torah, because that's fulfillment of the prophecy that will be the world will be filled with knowledge of Torah. So I get it. As a preparation, we need to have the inner parts of the Torah revealed. Because that the inner parts of the Torah, Hasidus, is like it is like a taste of the Torah that Mashiach is going to be teaching. Like we know elsewhere, the Rebbe brings down from many places, it says on Erev Shabbos, you're supposed to taste a little bit of your Shabbos food. So it says, why taste it? You build the appetite. So too, we, we have now a taste of what the Torah is going to be like when Mashiach comes. It builds the appetite. So I understand why we need to have in the end of the 6,000th year, why the Zohar says we need to have a revelation of the inner parts of the Torah. But why do we need, as a preparation for Mashiach, also the secular knowledge? How does that help us? How does the secular advancement of knowledge help us to the coming of Mashiach in the 7,000th year? And really, you could ask even more. The Zohar combines both points of re- revealing of knowledge in the same sentence. He says that when Mashiach comes, you're going to have the higher knowledge and the lower knowledge. In the same sentence, you're going to have knowledge of Torah and knowledge of secular knowledge. In the same sentence. That means that they're connected to two. What's the connection between secular knowledge and Torah knowledge? Seemingly, it's two different worlds of worlds of knowledge. So to understand this, we have to go into an explanation to understand what's the purpose of the whole world? Why do we even have this world? The reason why we have this world or why the world was created, the world was created as Rashi brings down from the Medrash and elsewhere in the first Rashi of the whole Torah. He says that the why, the why does the Torah begin with the letter Bez and not with the letter Aleph? Aleph is the first letter. So Rashi says, because Bez means number two, because there was two reasons why God created the world. One, for the Torah. And two, for the Jews. That's one statement. Very heavy statement. That the whole world was created just so the Torah should have a place where it could be studied, where it could be practiced and so on. And that for the Jews to have a place. They wanted to have a world for them. So that's one statement. Another statement about the creation of the world is, and this is brought down in the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, in the end of chapter 6. It says there, Everything that God created in this world, He created only for his glory. So Hashem created everything in this world, every single detail, only for his glory. In other words, for Hashem to be glorified and magnified and so on. So here we understand that the goal of everything in this world is one thing, is how are we going to utilize the things of this world through the Jews to be able to serve God. So it must mean as well that the secular knowledge the, the reason why we need the advancements and the opening, the floodgates to open of secular knowledge as well is as the Alter Rebbe writes in chapter 8 of Tanya, his famous words, is in order to help you to serve God and to understand Torah. So if everything in this world is only to serve God, then that means that advancements or any secular knowledge that exists, it has to be there in order to help to serve God. Now, it's, it's understood that not every person's brain, not every person has the kind of you know, ability to study so much science and secular knowledge and astronomy and you know, to figure out all the Rosh Chodesh so when the, and so much, there's so much secular medicine and so on and so forth. There's so much knowledge to know. Not everybody's brains can handle that. Like the Alter Rebbe says in the Tanya chapter 8, that this is the reason why the Rambam and the Ramban, Maimonides and Nachmanides, why did they study secular knowledge? Because they knew how to utilize the secular knowledge to help serve God. 
That means only capable people, individuals, select few are from that, that category. If you're not in that category where you know how to utilize secular knowledge to be able to serve God, if not, if you don't know how to do that, there will be a counterproductive benefit from studying secular knowledge. It, as the Alter Rebbe concludes there from the Talmud, that you will take your Chabad, your intellect, your wisdom, understanding, and your knowledge from secular knowledge, and you could contaminate your godly levels of intellect. If you don't know how to study and utilize it for the holy things, you could actually be contaminating through this knowledge your brain. We have to be so careful what we read and what we study. It's not so simple. person wants to go and study secular knowledge, you have to know what you're doing. You have to know how you're going to be able to utilize it to somehow help in the service to Hashem. Now here, there's an amazing um, paragraph that the Rebbe points out to here. One of my sons, my son Shua, just told me today, I'm going to look for the source for, for it, but he told me, he said, oh, you're, you're going to be teaching this sicha. He said, that paragraph, of what the Rebbe speaks about college, he said, the Rebbe wrote that whole paragraph with his own pen. In other words, besides what he spoke at the Fabrengen, he added a full piece into the talk that was being published. He wrote up a whole piece to add into this talk. What does he say? He says here like this. He says, we need to bavarn. Bavarn means we need to um, make it clear. We have to put up a warning sign. We have to make a warning sign that it's self-understood that everything that we said till now has no connection regarding the question from learning in colleges and universities and the like. Because over there, in studying in colleges and universities, there is a major prohibition of danger. Because the entire atmosphere and outlook in the cubic spaces of college and universities and similar kinds of schoolings like that, are all founded on the principles of denying the God's hashkacha pratis in this world. Hashkacha pratis means it's denying God's involvement in every single detail of the world. In other words, let's understand these words, what he's saying here. Hashkacha pratis is a fundamental belief in Judaism. Meaning, the fact that Hashem is involved and is every single detail that happens is godly orchestrated is a fundamental belief in Yiddishkeit. Outside of Yiddishkeit, in these institutions that he just mentioned, there's a, fun, a foundational issue that they have with this whole belief. They feel things are accidents, things just happen randomly, so there's a major denial in a fundamental point of God's divine province in every single thing. And it's so accepted in the colleges and universities and the school and so on that it's like almost like a self-understood point that they don't need to have a proof even. It's the foundation to the way it's, it's the thinking goes, the philosophy there that they don't even need to say it openly that God is not really the one who runs every single thing of the world. We are the school, the teachers, the money, and so on is what runs the world. And in many of these, and, and, and not just in many, in a majority of these schoolings, they teach all kinds of, uh, of, 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 um, heretic um, kinds of information and of faiths, of idol worships, and so on. The Rambam, he has in a footnote here, there ever brings from a footnote from the Rambam in the laws of idol worship that Hashem has commanded us not to read and not to think about and not even to inquire about all kinds of idol worship services and methods. So, a lot of times people say, well, you know what? There's a sign for a class. What could be so bad? 
if I go to that course to find out about some other religion. The Rambam says it's forbidden to exercise your time to do that. And now he continues. In most circumstances, he says, in majority, and majority is like already counted as the whole, there is no boundaries, again, in these schools of of busha, of embarrassment and modesty to the point that they laugh, people laugh at those people that behave in a modest way. The people that have modest values in the schooling systems out there, they get mocked at and laughed. And as a matter of fact, who gets more praise there? Those that behave in a more of a promiscuous kind of public settings than those that are more modest and quiet. As it is well known and underlined here, underscored, bold words, it is well known and public knowledge, the sad situation, and he uses a, a harder word, matzav ha'ayum is like, like, like the wondrous, disastrous situation that goes on on campuses, in the dormitories, the the places of leisure, etc. And I don't want to be, I don't want to lengthen about this subject that's very painful. Of that, that there's a lot more to talk about. Now, regarding now, he this is a principal piece here of the Rebbe's view on this, which has been accepted and embraced by so many circles, and even not just in Jewish circles, but how much more those that wanted to hear the Rebbe, he says like this. It's well known, the argument that of those that say, for me to go to college, I won't get affected by the temptations that are out there that take me off for modest and so on and so forth. Well, the Rebbe says it is a well-known answer to that attitude that it won't affect you and you will come out 100% perfect. He says, well, there's a known uh, fact that even the most righteous person, a tzaddik gummer, the most righteous person, until his last day on this world of 120 years old, in the beginning of the morning day of his 120th birthday, he still needs to say and ask God the words that we say every morning in our prayers that we request from God, Please God, don't bring me to a test. Don't put me in a test position. Do I really know if I'll pass the test? So every day we ask God, please, today, don't put me in front of a big test, you know? He says, well, even a 120-year-old tzaddik has to say that. So what? You're going to go and say, oh, I could go into these uh, environments and I won't get influenced there? He says, we could lengthen about the subject in great length, but now is not the place. Now, let's go back to our subject here. Since the Zohar connects secular knowledge with the higher level of knowledge and secular knowledge connects it with the preparation for the 7,000th year with the coming of Mashiach. It's understood that the purpose of all this secular knowledge is to be able to serve Hashem and the preparation for Mashiach. Now, the fundamental ideas that's going to happen when Mashiach comes, let's quote another well-known verse about what's going to be when Mashiach comes. There's a verse, another verse in Isaiah. This one is from Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 5, very famous verse. It says there that the revelation of the glory of God will happen when Mashiach arrives to the point that vero kol basar. Every flesh will be able to see the glory of God. God's going to be everywhere. That means the revelation of godliness is going to be in a way not just like the first verse that we quoted from Isaiah that the world will be filled with knowledge. That's one level. Here comes another thing about Mashiach's era. Not just it's going to be filled with knowledge, but you're going to be able to see it with your flesh. That means with your physical eyes, you're going to be able to see that God is talking. It's God's voice. 
You won't even have a doubt about it. You know the difference from seeing something and hearing something. Hearing something, you could somebody could always come and argue. Ah, not like this, like that. Seeing something makes a reality. It's a reality. You can't argue it. When Mashiach comes, it's not just going to be that the world is going to be filled with knowledge. It's going to be to the point that you're going to have to see it with your flesh. That means it won't just be with you're going to see it in your mind. That's another level. You know how people say, were you able to vision that what you learned? That's, that's only vision. That's seeing with your mind. Here it says, doesn't say, Vero Ene. Doesn't say, your eyes are going to... It doesn't say your, your intellect is going to see it. It says your flesh is going to see it. That means it's going to be very material-based. And now we understand the connection between secular knowledge with the preparation of the era of Mashiach. Because if we could utilize secular knowledge to help us to serve Hashem and His Torah, that is the best way to prepare to be able to see it with your flesh, your eyes, in a literal way. What's an example for this? One of the natural strengths that exists, that exists since the days of creation, since the first days in its greatest strengths, but this idea existed in the world, but it wasn't known to people. It was only revealed in the last many years. And it enabled people to take the voice of a person that speaks in a certain place and your voice could be heard across the globe through the telephone and even more through the system of radio or today we would call that through the internet right so this abilities have always been there but it has only been revealed in the last period of time. So that's an amazing thing when you think about it. The Zohar said that in the end of the 6,000th year, there will be an opening of knowledge that will be revealed in ways that we never had before. Well, look at this area. This is something proof on the table. And he says already in the 1970s, when television already became so popular, you were able to, you even able to see the person talking and every movement of the person, etc. Even they were going to space, you were able to connect. Now, for, for us, 20, 40 years later, it's 50 years later, it's obviously magnified even much more at this point. So the advancement in the world, the ability to hear every single movement of a person at every moment and every single little thing you do can give you a, an example, Lahavdil, of a famous Mishnah that we have in the Pirkei Avos. Famous, beautiful Mishnah. It says in the, in, the, in the Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 2, the first Mishnah, it says that every person should know, a motivational thing is you should know that there's an eye who sees everything you do. And there's an ear who could hear everything that you say. Now, we always learned that, that there's a spiritual eye and a spiritual ear, right? But here, think about this now. Now you could take this example and bring it much closer to us. Because in the our generations now, in the last many years, in the recent last many years, we have this ability that an eye can see from everywhere. Today with cameras... Right? Somebody gave a statistic that nowadays, every person, when you're walking around, you're living your life, you're recorded over 250 times a day on camera. You walk by buildings, walk by stores, you walk by lobbies, walk into supermarkets. So to, to understand that there's an ear, there's an eye that sees everything and there's an ear that hears, we now understand this. That if it's like if it's so in the material sense, how much more so without any limitations? It's so in the, from the higher worlds, and like the Mishnah finishes there, Kol Maasecha Besefer Nichtavim. Everything you do, all your actions are written in the books. So when you turn 120 and you come to heaven, they open up the books, they open up all the videos, and everything is recorded. And they say. Eh. Did you do this? We have it recorded. Did you say this? We have it recorded. Nothing could go by you. By the way, I listened to the audio of this talk. And over there, the Rebbe says that this thinking here, 
to make it so reality of this idea of the eyes that sees and the ear that hears, he says, this is the teachings of Musser. Musser books give like these good analogies that warn us to behave. Hasidus always says the positive thing. You behave not because I'm worried somebody's watching me. You behave good because you want to behave good. You love Hashem and you want to connect to Hashem. That he says it's not in the in the published version here. Now he continues. We could see this also in a literally in a literal way when you think about what it says in the Tanya. It's one of the twelve psukim, the twelve verses that the Rebbe asked everybody to memorize. It says there, God stands above you, and He looks at you, and He contemplates about you, and He looks into our hearts to see if we're serving Him properly. So this is not just something that you have to think about and go so far. It's very close to you, close to you. You can feel this in a literal way. In your behaviors of your hearts and in your thoughts, speech, and action, your garments. So now, even though everything of worldly knowledge was created only for the Torah and for the Jews, nevertheless, we find that the sages, if you look, what the Rebbe did is he looked everywhere in the entire Torah, in all the commentaries, and the Medrash, and the Talmud, the Babylonian, Jerusalem, everything, and he finds that there's two kinds of material substances, two categories, so to speak, that we, we have in the world, material substances, that the sages define two different categories in how we talk about these things and service of God. For example, the higher level is, it says like this, it says, the sages say, that the world was not a fitting place to use gold. Gold, you know, the golden calf, right? Gold could be used for for a lot of bad things, right? The biggest sin we ever encountered was the golden calf, right? So gold is a bad thing so the so the medrash asks one second if the world was not befitting for gold why did god create it what did we need gold in this world for who needed this if we have so much trouble about this who needed this so it answers the reason is that god created gold because he wanted it to be a commodity that's going to be used in the temple that's why he created gold now, in order for there to be freedom of choice, that you're going to use it for godly means, so he made it available for everybody's technical use as well. But that's only so you should have freedom of choice. But the essence of gold is just to be able to have it for the Mishkan, for the Beis HaMikdash, that we had a lot of gold. We had the vessels were made from gold. And there was gold plated on the on the altar, on the on the uh, on the ark, and so on and so forth, right? Now the difference is whether you say that there are things in this world that's created to help you to serve God, or whether you say that the thing itself is there to serve God. There's there's a differentiation here. By gold, we're saying is gold itself was created just for the purpose of serving God with it. Other things we say a little bit different, right? Other things we say, we're using, let's say secular knowledge. You could technically be studying secular knowledge, but it's going to have a benefit that I'll also be able to serve God with it. I'll give you an example. A person that wants to study astronomy, right? Studying astronomy is important to know when, like today it was Rosh Chodesh. How do you know when's the first day of the month? When is there going to be an eclipse of this moon and the sun? Every 28 years you have to make a blessing on the, on the sun. So you have to study all, the, all this knowledge. So are you studying it because I love the subject and it's just fascinating on its own? Or am I studying it to help me out to serve Hashem? So the higher level, and this is the reason why the Zohar puts it together with Torah knowledge, is to show you that the ultimate goal of the secular knowledge is that it itself should be there to serve Hashem. And that's the ultimate deeper intention from this revelation of the opening of this wellsprings of knowledge is that it itself, the secular knowledge itself, 
should be used for things of Torah and mitzvahs. And even more, since the Zohar, as we said, it puts it together, that it is the revelation of the inner parts of the Torah and the same thing, that means it has the same goal. Now he says, like we spoke before, the whole advancement and novelty of all this is as a preparation of what's going to be when Mashiach comes. So he says, look, we have both ideas when Mashiach comes. Number one is we have the verse that says in Isaiah that the world will be filled with knowledge like the sea is covered with water. And this alone is going to be in a way that every flesh could see it. Well, so too, we have it now, the beginning of this, we have it now. In the secular knowledge, we could use it out for spreading of Torah. And the inner parts of the Torah is revealed, which is the, it's the taste of what it's going to be with the Torah when Mashiach comes. Because through this, we can utilize the secular knowledge, the, the, the phone, the radio, and so on, and television, internet, you could use all this stuff to be able to carry the Torah. That's what we see from the example of radio. And by the way, when it comes to radio, he says that the fact that it, it carries itself through, through the waves means that it's a physical substance. The Torah now, the spirituality is being carried in the physical air and to everywhere, wherever you look. I want to give you an example. A number of years ago, I went to one of the uh, detention centers in uh, Toronto, not for myself, but to go visit somebody. And, Baruch um, Hashem. Anyway, so I went to visit somebody and whatever, to help this guy out. And on the way out, one of the guards asked me, said, are you uh, from Chabad? I said, yes. Interesting that you ask. He says, listen, I'm not Jewish. But you should know, usually I'm not here by day. I do the night shift. I'm a guard here on the night shift. And I'm so dead bored here by night. Because all the inmates are sleeping and I'm, I'm on duty here. He said, I found out about this phone number, 905-731-7777. It's the Torah hotline phone number. He says, I call in and I listen to all these beautiful Torah talks and story, Jewish stories, and I listen to Jewish melodies. And he says, that keeps me busy all night. I love it. Yeah. So when you think about it, the, the, the ability of the Torah and the knowledge and so on has reached everywhere, even you know people that are not Jewish, that are just helping out in whatever ways they're helping out this society. So now the words of Hasidus that gets carried out on the radio, it now takes through, it, it absorbs into the entire world. Even in places where there's a no radio physically there, that doesn't mean that the Torah is not there in the air. If you would have the technical device to be able to expand the, the, what's in the air, you would be able to hear it right away. So just because you don't have the physical radio doesn't mean it's not there in the air. So the fact that we have now that Hasidus could be taught in such a way and it's being revealed like that, that means this is what the Zohar is talking about. So it's through the secular knowledge, because how did we make radio and radio waves? That came through the secular knowledge, right? So it's through the secular knowledge that even the spreadings of the inner parts of the Torah have both components, both verses regarding the days of Mashiach. That the world will be filled with knowledge. Oh, through the radio waves, it's filled, literally this verse, and every place to the point that it's even felt and it's there in a physical sense. And that's what it means. You're going to be able to see it with flesh. With the physical sense. Now this idea that we could utilize secular knowledge for a second point, for the for the advance, for the for the helping of Torah and mitzvahs, and the wisdom itself, you don't see the connection to holiness in the secular knowledge itself. You only see that the radio is helpful for something else. So the the, the ultimate truth of the combination of the secular knowledge with Torah, you could see that in the hidden, hidden parts of the Torah. One of the fundamental teachings in the hidden parts of the Torah is that the hidden parts of the Torah reveals to us that there's a unifying force that unifies all different 
components of the world. There are many creations, and we may think that every creation, every country, every species is independent from the other. Hasidus came and says and shows us that everything has an underlying unity between it all together. And it's only by this unification that you get to see the godliness that's flowing in everything because it all has a unique similarity of godliness that flows through everything. You know, there's a famous uh, interpretation, explanation, when you say Shema Yisrael, so how do you say it? You say, Hero Israel, right? The Lord is our God. And then you say, the Lord is one. So Hasidus says, why does it say the Lord is one? It should say the Lord is the only. When you say something is one, you may interpret, okay, this is the one God, but there's also a second God and a third God and so on. So there's room to make a mistake if you call God as one. One means there may be more than one. So Hasidus explains the difference of saying the only or one is like this. Technically, you're right. If you say it's the only God, it's more powerful, but it, it has a certain disadvantage because when you, in other words, there's a greater advantage if you say God is one because in the word Echad has three letters. Aleph, which is one. Ches is eight. And Dalet is four. When you th- say the word Echad, you're supposed to think three different themes a theme for the Aleph, the Ches, and the Dalet. You're supposed to think Aleph is number one, that means God is only one. You're supposed to think number eight, that there are seven firmaments. God created this world with seven firmaments and earth. So God is the God everywhere, in all seven firmaments and earth. That's what you're supposed to think when you say the letter Ches. When you say the letter Dalet, you're supposed to think Dalet is four. It's the same God that's in all four corners of the world. As a matter of fact, when you say that word Echad, you're supposed to have your eyes closed, your hand over your eyes. That's the best way so you can concentrate. And then you're supposed to nod your head to all directions when you say it, showing that Hashem is everywhere. So you're supposed to make with your head, you go right, left, straight, back like that, and then up and down. That's why some people, they get a headache when they finish saying Shema, because they shake too much, too big, just gentle, very, very small nod, you know, all directions. So, and also, you don't have to say Echad so long. The Talmud says, whoever says Echad in a lengthy way, you're going to have long life. Just like you made Echad long, you're going to have long life. But Chassidus really gives us to understand that quote. What does it mean to say it long? It doesn't mean just say the physical word, word, Echad, stand there in synagogue like that. It, that this, the real meaning of it is that you should think of it in a lengthier way. In other words, think of all the components, Aleph, Ches, and Dalet. So now, what do you gain out of this information? What's better? What's a greater accomplishment? When you have no separation, no details, or when you have all the details and you combine them all together into one word. When you combine a bunch of differences together into one entity, it's much more powerful. Take, let's say, a bunch of wheat stalks. If you have a bunch of separate pieces of wheat, it's very nice. But when they're bounded together in a bundle, then you want to buy it. What are you going to buy one stick? So the unification of the many is greater when it's only individual. So he says this, this is what Chassidus came to teach us, that in all aspects of the world, in all elements of this world, they're all connected as one element of God going through it all. It used to be that people thought that in natural strengths, there's all kinds of, every single natural abilities have different kinds of strengths. People thought that matter and energy were two separate things. The recognition that there's matter and there's energy and and many other elements to this is only the external view of it. But the combination of it all together through contraction and openings, 
you could actually unite this all together. So by bringing all these forces united together, that's what Hasidus comes and says. That the secular knowledge helps us to understand that there's that even though they all seem to be different elements and different forces, you should know that deeper inside the secular, look at the secular knowledge, they found that there's a unified energy that holds it all together. So too, this is because of Hasidus that teaches us the same point, that it's the godly energy that unites it all together. So you see that this revelation of the secular and the, and the spiritual knowledge that the Zohar is talking about are all combined together. And this is the, the connection to this idea of it being prepared for the days of the 7,000th year. The revelation of the deeper parts of the Torah brings us to the openings of the secular knowledge. And through this, it is a taste of the Torah of what it's going to be when Mashiach comes, when it's going to be revealed, the unification of God in the world, in a way that we're going to see it with our flesh, that the world is a receptacle to be able to receive the unity of God in a way like we never experienced before. And then we will realize that the truth is that the unification of everything of God is not anything of separations. It's all there in the preparation and we will have the coming of Mashiach in a way that we could actually see it and feel it. So this is the beauty of understanding the Zohar. So let's recap the whole talk. The verse says that it was in the 600th year of the days of Noah that the, that the Heavenly, that the uh, that that all the let, let's read, we'll read it inside that the all the that the springs of the great deep were split and all the springs started to come forth and the windows of the heavens opened up. That's the verse. The Zohar says this refers to not not just the six hundredth year but the six thousandth year. So now we see that there's going to be an opening of the great depth, the deeps and the splits of the below springs. That refers to the secular knowledge, that's the lower levels of knowledge. And the windows of the heavens will open up. That refers to the knowledge of the Torah. Ah, you could think that they're a contradiction to each other. And that's why he points out here to show us that it could be utilized and we do have the ability of this great revelations of the last few hundred years, all helping us to get a taste of what it's like, of the knowledge of Mashiach, where we're going to see godliness everywhere, not just in a way where the world is filled with knowledge, but it's going to be in a way of a row, called Basr, that we'll be able to see it. And may this happen speedily now in our